Health by Heather Hirsch, a podcast dedicated to uncovering many of the women's health issues many of us are wondering about, but few of us are talking about. My mission is to expose the current gaps in knowledge and care on all things women's health. Enjoy. Hi, ladies. Welcome back to my podcast, Women's Health by Heather Hirsch. And today we're going to be discussing all things perimenopause. Now, I did a podcast on perimenopause a few months ago called Perimenopause, What the H-E-L-L, and this is going to be a little bit of a jump off from that. It's going to be about how to thrive and maintain wellness in perimenopause and beyond. Now, if you're already beyond this stage, if you are menopausal, this is still going to be really important because a lot of the topics that we're going to talk about can really easily also be translated into menopausal care. And also, if you are listening to this podcast and you have a friend, a family member, a colleague who might be experiencing a perimenopause and is confused or fearful about what is happening to her life and her body, please direct her right over to this episode. So we're going to jam pack this with so much valuable information all about that time in between when you are pre-menopausal and when you are post-menopausal. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, ladies, this is the first time in a while I have done a solo cast, which which just simply means podcasting by myself. I have been able to take advantage of so many of my amazing colleagues across the country here in the United States to do amazing episodes with me from my own institution, which is the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, to the most prestigious universities across the country. There has just been such amazing episodes. If you haven't listened to the ones that came before this, go ahead and feel free to binge all of my podcast episodes. And also, I love your comments and feedback and suggestions for episodes because I want to know what you want to know. I always tell this to my patients. I want to hear from you what you think is going to help you, not necessarily what I think is going to help you because that night, night might not necessarily be the right fit for you. And so, same thing applies here. If you have a question, a comment, a suggestion, please feel free to message me and let me know. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, I'm at hormone.health.doc and I'm also on Twitter at Heather Hirsch MD and I also have a YouTube channel. I started that in the winter time of 2020 and that's Health by Heather Hirsch. So if you want to check out some of my videos and a lot of that content is menopause related, you can check me out over there on YouTube. So I want to talk about perimenopause today, specifically how to have a good perimenopause. I know it kind of sounds like, how can that be? But seriously, there are certain things that can be done that can really help you and your clinician. Now, I was inspired to do this episode today because I'm actually giving a talk at the upcoming annual meeting for the North American Menopause Society, and that's short for NAMS. And if you have listened to my show before, I talk about NAMS 
constantly. NAMS is really the certifying body of evidence-based menopause uh, research, education, and framework that we have here in the United States. You, as a patient, can check them out at menopause.org. And if you're a healthcare provider, whether you're a physician, a nurse practitioner, physician assistant, even pelvic floor physical therapists, social workers, etc., are all all a part of NAMS. So you can also go to NAMS, which is at menopause.org and find out how to become a NAMS provider. I highly recommend it because if you've been listening to this podcast and you are in the women's health field or you are in the clinical realm, clearly you really like women's health and it's something you should definitely check out. The annual meeting this year is all virtual. So I'm really excited and honored to be giving a talk in the menopause 101 section, which is where some of the new members or those who are actually non-members but are going to be going to the conference are just going to learn that basic background of things that clinicians should know about, you know, menopause and perimenopause. So I am delighted to be talking about maintaining wellness in perimenopause. Now, this podcast episode, I'm assuming a majority of my listeners are not healthcare providers, although I know many of you are, or you're in the women's health sphere, whether it's fitness or beauty or, you know, wellness, coaching. There's so many of you who are doing amazing things in that space. But I'm going to be talking on this show today as if you were the patient. What can you do as the patient? And I'll be talking in my presentation about what clinicians and healthcare providers should be aware of. The first thing I really want you to know is it's definitely a a thing that you can have a good perimenopause course. You know, a lot of times people hear the words either perimenopause, midlife, or menopause, and there's just kind of this dread associated with those three terms. And it really doesn't have to be so. And I think that for most people, what makes this time really tumultuous is this feeling of not being in control, backed with not having any, you know, foundation or education in what's going on in your life and in your body. And I say this time and time again, we teach women when we're very young, all about puberty and those body changes. We teach women, you know, about pregnancy, about how not to get pregnant. And then we do so much about pregnancy. And then recently there's been a lot of topics, conversations, dialogues around postpartum health, discussing postpartum uh, mood issues, anxiety and depression and postpartum blues. And now you see a lot about mom life and raising young children. And after that, it's kind of like, poof, you're gone. And you're not gone. You're 100% there. In fact, again, another one of my themes is women at midlife are the most thriving population of women that we have. And if we don't help them when they need help or when they're confronted with a new issue or new symptom, that's certainly when we can face a lot of problems. So that education about perimenopause is the foundation. And I discussed this in my other perimenopause podcast, but let's kind of talk about what are some of the things that you can expect in perimenopause or not. Remember, some people don't have a lot of symptoms. Some women have a lot of symptoms. Everything is really a spectrum. 
So one of the first things that tends to happen, and by no means will you follow the textbook, most women don't, but periods can become irregular. They can either become shorter in duration, they can become longer in duration, there can be less time in between periods or more time in between periods. And you may find that even if you are absolutely regular every 28 days or every 30 days, all of a sudden your periods have a different pattern, or maybe it's not even any kind of pattern. They're really just super wonky. And that's again because the estrogen that is being made in your ovaries is starting to not have just the same up and down ebb and flow that he used to have because the ovaries are starting to close down shop, but you haven't really, you know, gone into menopause, which is a whole year of no bleeding. That's how we define your last menstrual period. But the hormones that are coming from your, your ovaries, which is your estrogen are just really, really wonky. And that's going to affect actually other hormones in your body as well. It can certainly affect for a lot of women who have thyroid conditions. It can affect the bioavailability of thyroid, uh, your own thyroid, actually your T3 and T4, or if you're taking thyroid medication, that levothyroxine or your Synthroid. And parentheses, I have a whole YouTube video on this. So if you have hypo or hyperthyroidism and it's affecting your perimenopause, I certainly want you to go to my YouTube channel, Health by Heather Hirsch, and check out that video. It also certainly can affect, therefore, how much bioavailability is other hormones are having on your body, such as testosterone and, and probably some that we don't know, as well as or, or including insulin and other things. So irregular periods is a poor man's test of the hormones that are fluctuating without any real pattern in your body. And that's not fun. So irregular periods is going to be one of the first things you might notice. When you have an extended time of a low estrogen state, which for example, might be, uh, say a woman is having a period every three months. And in those three months, right in the middle of there, that estrogen level is starting to get very low and you can have menopausal symptoms and those can be vasomotor symptoms, sleeping issues, vaginal dryness equating to painful intercourse, or just simply dryness with sitting or standing mood changes such as irritability, anxiety, depression, or brain fog. And then of course, body changes, bloating, constipation, weight gain. All of these things can happen, particularly in low estrogen states in perimenopause. Now, again, they kind of fluctuate, which makes it very frustrating and which also makes it just a little bit more harder to get your finger on the pulse because you might have an appointment to see your doctor and then you might get three periods in a row and those symptoms might be gone. And that's actually because when you are having periods or if they're becoming more regular again for you know no reason at all, that means that you're actually making some estrogen and you're kind of coming out of those three months where you had what we call a low estrogen state. So I'm kind of making up this course here as I'm talking, this woman's course of a low estrogen state in, for example, three months where you don't have a period. And certainly yours could be totally different. You could also experience symptoms in the middle of your cycle where you normally didn't or the end of your cycle where you normally didn't. And even just 
talking it out loud, you can kind of hear as you're listening how frustrating this could be because there is just no pattern sometimes. So educating yourself that a lot of these changes can happen while you are still having periods, oftentimes in your mid to late 40s, if the average age of menopause is 51, these symptoms can start in your 40s when you're at the peak of your career, you may be taking care of children and taking care of parents and taking care of your new home and all the other stressors that are ongoing where you need to just be on the top of your game. So that education aspect is really important. If there's one thing that I'm going to be teaching my clinicians at the North American Menopause Society meeting is the importance of establishing a system for patients, i.e. you, to better understand any type of pattern that you can and the way you're going to be able to achieve this, in my opinion, is by journaling and tracking journaling and tracking. I say this all the time. This is so important because everyone in perimenopause is going to have a slightly different spectrum of severity of symptoms and types of symptoms. And so we want to know exactly when they're happening to you over a couple of months to see if we can divulge any type of pattern. And we also want to find out how they're actually affecting your quality of life in those times. So here's what I want you to do. People who love to do everything digital, you can certainly do this on your phone. So don't let me let you think there's just one way to do this. But I really do actually think a written journal, like in the old days when we could walk into Barnes & Noble and buy one of those monthly journals, is really helpful because you can really look at everything at once. You can kind of see all that data in one eye shot and you can kind of look at each month. So I'd love for you to pick up a journal like that, either a monthly or weekly journal where you can start tracking your symptoms. People ask me what types of symptoms should be tracked. Well, you know, I always want you to find that medium between not doing enough journaling and tracking and still having recall bias where you can't really remember a few weeks ago and doing it to the point of excess because I think nothing in excess is really healthy. So I want you to just kind of jot down, for example, of course, periods. Anytime you're bleeding, that's really helpful because certainly symptoms may coincide either with periods of long periods of no bleeding or and may subside when you do have periods. Not always, but sometimes. So you certainly want to track any days of bleeding and that could be spotting, heavy period, or just normal flow. So you want to go ahead and track those. And then again, it depends on what your predominant symptoms are. If they're hot flashes, track when you're getting hot flashes, track if it's daytime or nighttime. If they're at night or if you're having sleep trouble, certainly start keeping track of how many times you might be waking up in the middle of the night, how much sleep you're getting, and how you feel in the morning. Meaning, well, I only got six hours of sleep, but I felt okay. I could go to work and be productive, or I could take care of my 12-year-old and I was okay. So you want to maybe track those. If you have a Fitbit or some other kind of monitor, you know, glance at it every once in a while to see how many hours of sleep are you getting if you are having nighttime symptoms. If mood changes are new, again, new onset of mood symptoms is really quite common. And that can range from all of a sudden having in, in, in extreme anxiety, hostility, anger, or depression. A lot of these things are really common. Or 
Perhaps you had a prior diagnosis, but all of a sudden it's either come back with a vengeance or it's seemingly out of control when it was previously in control and nothing else in your life may have changed that you can point to. Write down how your mood is. You know, think about if you're having issues that are affecting personal relationships or working relationships. Those are really, really vital too. If you're going to thrive in perimenopause, so note if you were irritable, if you're really angry, if it affected a partner, if it affected children or a pet, you know, anything, write those things down, especially if mood is a predominant symptom. What if it's bloating or if it's weight gain or if it's sort of those digestive problems? Those are really common and very frustrating because they can be very vague. You know, keep a, a, a running note of when symptoms tend to be worse. Maybe also jot down a little food diary, especially if you're eating something new, especially if you're eating out, especially if you've started a new diet. Certainly jot that stuff down. And of course, you know, weight or clothing size or anything like that. The more you start to journal and track, I really feel like this will help you and your clinician be little detectives on what could be going on. And more importantly, since it could be perimenopause, and this is just a frustrating time, trying to find any type of pattern or periods where it's affecting your quality of life is then when you maybe want to intervene. So again, I kind of use those as my threshold. Now, when it's affecting quality of life is a subjective response, but certainly if your job is being threatened or if you're thinking about leaving your job or retiring, which is something you never thought you would do, if you're thinking about ending an important relationship that you never thought you would do, or perhaps it's gotten to that point, if you've you know kind of had any uh, big life decisions that you might be facing or making that you think is based on some of these symptoms, that's kind of when I think things are affecting your quality of life. When they're not, may just be, for example, well, I'm having a little bit of bloating, but my clothes are still fitting me fine. I'm sleeping okay and otherwise not really bothered, but noticing it. So those are two different things, but it's helpful to know because your body certainly is changing and responding to those physiologic changes in hormones in your body, which are affecting all of your organ systems, right? It's affecting your gut. We talked a lot about that. It's affecting your brain in terms of mood and hot flashes and brain fog. It's affecting our vaginal health. It's affecting so many things that this very menopause does not exist in a bubble. After that, it's important for you to come go to your clinician and to talk with them about what are the predominant symptoms, when are they occurring, and how is it affecting your quality of life. It's really helpful if your clinicians can help you do that or help you tease that out. But if you've listened to this podcast and this has been helpful advice, simply start by that because a lot of time it can take the guesswork out of the detective work that your clinician will need to do. And I also think that it's really helpful to know that there are resources out there for you to interact with other women who are going through the same thing as you are. Because sometimes that is just a really crucial part. Certainly, I as a clinician love to help my patients walk through their journeys and have really good transitions. But just like with any other diagnosis, it's sometimes nice to have a dedicated support group 
all about what you are going through, that you can find other validation and likewise stories from women just like you. I'm going to link a couple of amazing perimenopause resources down at the link below or the description of this podcast, but certainly you can find numerous perimenopause support groups on Facebook and Instagram. So what do you do? Once you've done your due diligence and you've done all your Dr. Hirsch dedicated journaling and tracking, well, again, this is where your clinician can come into play, but certainly if you're listening to this podcast, you may be thinking about what are some of the interventions or options you have to improve the symptomatology. So again, I start really by thinking about lifestyle changes. You know, I talk about this story of a particular patient of mine who had really severe mood symptoms right prior to the onset of her period that started in perimenopause. They were so severe that she started to work from home that week. And certainly this was years ago. So it was before working from home became so common. But certainly there can be other ways you can intervene. So for example, if you know you're going to have a particularly bad week, it may not be a good week for date night. Maybe when you come home from your job or when your partner comes home, if you've been at home, you have a dedicated hour or half an hour to yourself where you could meditate, take a walk, exercise, something to help improve that mood specifically centered around those periods of times where your symptoms might be flaring. So there are certainly ways you can incorporate lifestyle things, and we all know the benefits of exercising specifically on mood, but certainly it can have just vast amount of benefits. And it doesn't have to be any sort of type of exercise. It can be a walk, it could be high intensity interval training, anything in between, so long as you can do some exercise. Certainly meditating is so helpful. And I also have several podcasts on my show with my good friend, the clinical director of psychology at the Brigham and Women's, Dr. Natalie Dottillo. We talk a lot about gratitude and mindfulness and how those small shifts can significantly, and I really do mean this, impact your outlook. And again, if you sort of know your trajectory, if you know your pattern, you'll know when it's particularly important that you take out time in your day to do those things. And when you find that they actually do work, as I know that they will, you will continue to improve your behavior to make more time to do those. Other things that can be really helpful is cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT, which is when you work with a psychologist like Dr. Dottillo, if you're particularly stuck or if you find that you really need it, it's extremely helpful. It's a great way to work through some of your problems with essentially a third party person who is not going to be there to give you direct advice, but to really walk you through why you're experiencing the feelings that you are which is a solid foundation to take and then to be able to apply to new issues as they come up later in life. So it has a a huge benefit to you and, and those around you as well. There are definitely other uh, vitamins and supplements that I think are really helpful and specifically for my women in perimenopause who've, you know, had many decades of not taking medications or not having any chronic conditions. Certainly starting to take medications, even if it's over-the-counter vitamins or supplements, can be a change. It can be, you know, just a habit-forming change. And so certainly that can be difficult and different. So I always say if there are some vitamins or supplements that you like, you know, keep them by your 
your toothbrush and take them when you brush your teeth because hopefully you brush your teeth every day twice a day. Certainly I have also YouTube on this. There's a lot of vitamins and supplements out there and people really do feel strongly to certain ones. And my basic uh, ideology on vitamins and supplements is as long as they're not harmful, there are plenty of vitamins and supplements as well as nutritional supplements. For example, you know, a lot of people do take turmeric or cinnamon and garlic, all of which are really beneficial. But you know, certainly this list is not exhaustive. It's just really from my own personal training. There are certain vitamins and supplements that I do often recommend, including vitamin D over the counter, 1000 to 2000 units, really good for mood and possibly preventing chronic diseases. More research is being done, but certainly a really easy thing to add to your regimen. And you just can't get enough from uh, foods in, in the United States. You'd really have to eat like an Alaskan. So you really want to get vitamin D in a supplement. I also really like magnesium oxide or magnesium citrate or however you want to take your magnesium, 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams at bedtime. Really helpful for a lot of those vague digestive complaints like bloating, constipation. Magnesium is really it aids the digestive tract. It can sometimes be relaxing. It can also help keep that brain health happy if you are a migraine sufferer. Thinking about migraines, adding riboflavin or B2 at bedtime can also be helpful to take with magnesium. Other supplements that I really like also include the addition of B vitamins like an all B or a B complex just for a little bit of mood and energy boosting. Again, these are not going to be, you know, five hour energy drinks, although that's what's in five hour energy drinks, but certainly they can help. If you are suffering from a lot of bloating or sort of fluid stasis, a nice natural diuretic is B6. And I would recommend taking 50 milligrams two or three times a day with your meals can be really helpful. Other things that a lot of people do like is CoQ10, especially if you take a statin medication or if you've been prescribed a statin medication. Costochondroitin is also sometimes really good for um, when you have cartilage uh, problems in your joints, achy joints essentially. So CoQ10 can be really helpful. A lot of my patients also take fish oil or omega-3s. I think those are fine. Although in my honest opinion, if you get them from your diet, if you eat any type of fish, you know, certainly you might not need them in a supplement. Um, fish oil can also sometimes cause breast tenderness and there's certainly calories in fish oil. So consider getting it from your food. And then there is also calcium. Calcium is important for bone health as is vitamin D, but we really do want you to try and get as much calcium as you can from your diet. You know, even if you don't eat a lot of dairy, which is where a lot of calcium comes from, it's also in almond milk, coconut milk, definitely in salads and leafy greens. And so there's certainly calcium in other places. If you do not do any dairy, you want to try and get 1,200 milligrams of calcium. A colleague once told me it's sometimes easier just to think about getting 1,000 of D and 1,000 of calcium just because that's easy to remember. And again, I know this is a lot of data. You certainly don't need to run out and do all of these things, but I just wanted to give you a list and the idea that the addition of lifestyle changes and over-the-counter vitamins and supplements can be really helpful.
Also, dietary changes can sometimes be helpful, but again, this can also be a spectrum. I certainly don't think that you might solve all your problems by removing sugar and that being the offending agent or by removing gluten or by removing dairy, but certainly people do establish some benefits from this. And so if it's worthwhile to you, if the digestive symptoms are enough, affecting your quality of life enough that you want to go ahead and try doing that, certainly you can. And certainly, that can make a big difference. But remember, there is a lot of physiologic changes and hormonal changes that have effects all over your body. So I certainly wouldn't say that is the direct effect of one certain food that is causing all of these problems. But again, everyone is different. And so that certainly can aid in you thriving if you do find a diet that works the best for you. But I also want you to live a happy and wonderful life. And if that means eating ice cream or eating pizza and those things bring you enough joy, certainly take all of those factors into account. And then lastly, what if you are having symptoms? One of the things that always breaks my heart is when a patient tells me she was told she couldn't be having menopausal symptoms because she wasn't yet in menopause. And if you take nothing from this, it's definitely that menopausal symptoms symptoms of that low estrogen state, hot flashes, vaginal dryness, atrophy or pain with intercourse, brain fog, mood changes, skin changes, hair thinning, all of those symptoms can certainly start in perimenopause. Well, what do I do? Well, I help my patients treat them. There's a lot of medical options that are FDA approved, either non-hormonal options or FDA approved hormone therapy options that we use in perimenopause. Yes, I said it. I sometimes do use postmenopausal hormone therapy in perimenopause. Now, I talked a lot about that in my last episode, so you can search for that. It's perimenopause, what the H-E-L-L. And also, I also do have a course, The Complete Guide to Menopause. You can find it by going to my website, heathershmd.com. And I know it sounds a little bit like a commercial, but really there's not enough time and it takes a lot of background to sort of figure out what is the right treatment for you. But certainly there are things that we can do in perimenopause. I recently did an episode with my program director, Dr. Holly Thacker, and we talked a lot about treating women in perimenopause and menopause. And she said, and this is not a direct quote, but she said, you know, when I'm asked about this in in it being natural, certainly it is natural, as is childbirth, as is death, but we certainly do help you if you need help. And the same thing happens with perimenopause. Many of my patients find just this education, which if you've listened to this whole podcast, you've learned a lot about perimenopause. But just the education and understanding and awareness and expectations about what can happen in perimenopause and how important and what a big role those physiologic and hormonal shifts are playing is just uh, is just helpful for women to know that they're not, you know, air quotes, crazy or alone. A lot of people certainly do feel that. And validating your experience is certainly the first step. Then we talked about journaling and tracking and seeing if you can identify any type of pattern or any type of clue that one of those bad spells is about to happen. That can be very helpful as well. Implementing lifestyle changes or adding certain vitamins or supplements or over-the-counter options, including exercise, stress management, cognitive behavioral therapy, meditation, and wellness are really overall important, as are sometimes dietary changes. 
But then again, sometimes it's affecting quality of life to the point where we do want to treat you. So there's lots of different ways and lots of different options. And being that I sort of specialize in this hormonal transition, this perimenopause and menopause, I have lots of just little tricks up my sleeve to help control the symptoms. And the reason we say perimenopause is the living H-E-L-L is because menopause for many is can certainly also be difficult. And women don't make any estrogen. And if we replace a tiny bit of estrogen, that often helps. And of course, the progestin if they have an intact uterus. But in perimenopause, you're still making your own hormones at wonky levels at spontaneous times. And so it's a little bit trickier, but certainly you can get help. If you want to see me, I'm at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, where I'd love to see you. Actually, I know the number off the top of my head of my clinic. It's 617-732-9300. I'm starting to sound a lot like a commercial. And trust me, it's just that I've been doing this for so long. It just rolls off my tongue. Option three. And if you don't live in Boston, uh, I can do telemedicine visits, but unfortunately your first visit does need to be with me. And then those follow-up visits can be virtual. This may change over time as virtual medicine, of course, during 2020 has expanded rapidly, but not yet. There is a way for me to do a second opinion, with, which is clinician to clinician. And you can actually find that on my Instagram. It's at hormone.health.doc and on my website, heatherhirschmd.com. And there's a way to get a second opinion that, again, has to be sort of initiated by your doctor. It's not perfect. And I will tell you, it is a little costly, but that's certainly a way that I'm, I'm happy to help if at all possible. But if it's not me, again, Another pitch for the menopause website is menopause.org, and this is the North American Menopause Society. You can go under find a provider and search by a zip code. So that's another thing that you can do. I'm excited to be giving this lecture, Thriving in Perimenopause, at the NAMS conference this year. If you are attending the NAMS conference, I guess I'd love to see you or say hi, but I know it's virtual this year. So maybe in 2021. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you for your comments and your stars and your reviews on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That certainly is helping this podcast go up in the rankings. If you have a friend, colleague, sister, anyone who needs to hear this podcast, send them a link. You can share the link with them so they can know if they're in perimenopause. They're not by any means alone. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day or evening. Till next week.